All right, here we are, episode four. Here we are. Yeah, we're stuck to it. Fourth episode. How do you feel? I feel good, actually, because I didn't think that we would. And so, well, there <laughs> you just go. like a proud... Exceeded expectations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will give us both a pat on the back. Mm. I mean, doing it is a pass in itself. There you go. <laughs> the participation that counts. Oh, uh, but yeah. well, yes. We've achieved our in- internal uh, participation trophy. Mm-hmm. And as gen- our generation knows, that's all that really matters. <laughs> we tried our best. We did. Yeah. And we're here to teach you little fucks how to not care about participation awards so much. Even though we still both clearly do, as we're both comedians, and that's a very attention-seeking job. But... Sure. <laughs> Is that well? I, I didn't realize that was the theme. Now we're trying to tell people how not to worry about participation awards. Oh, not exactly that. But haven't you noticed that a lot of our uh, podcasts have been around the themes of self-help, as is this one? It seems to just naturally gravitate towards that. And again, it does seem there to, is it? such little planning in this podcast. It just happens. Hmm. Um, and I think it's, well, I mean, look at you. You, you had a shower. You're into self-improvement. <laughs> <laughs> I love the compliments that you always give me. You know what day it is. You had a shower. Wow. The bar is set very low. <laughs> and um, you've passed it. So I'll give you wow. more points for that. I'm very happy. But the main theme, I think, that we're just going to be walking around today is the concept of reality. Yeah, this was your uh, suggestion. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, uh, that's a broad, very broad theme. We can delve into that quite deeply. Mm. Um, and, and let's just look. Anybody clicking on this, hoping there to be some kind of, you know, physics behind this? Um, no. Mm. I'm wearing a bloody jacket from Kmart. You're not going to get that kind of information out of me. Sure. I'm instead just going to be dangling around the concept of reality as it exists in your mind, man, because mm. what I lack in a PhD in physics, I definitely make up for a PhD in those books that you get from Tree of Life. I've read a lot of those. Right. And <laughs> most of them are about that particular subject yeah and as a little preamble to this discussion uh when jordan brought up the suggestion that we do a podcast on the concept of reality i did i texted you asking do you have any book recommendations thinking Mm. you'd come back with some sort of uh you know metaphysics or great philosophical text and 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 no you came back (laughs) with the uh the blueprint decoded which uh, I didn't even look into, but well, as far as I'm aware, philosophical it's, enough. It's a, it's a pickup book. <laughs> Man, so tell me, as tell we've me. said numerous times on this pod, is there anything more profound than the pursuit of puss? Come on, no. at the end of the day, no. what else is there? No, that's so, <laughs> And you know what? This whole talk is just going to be me rehashing that self-help book. I mean, that, let's not even put it in the category of self-help. That pick-up book. Mm. And honestly, I think, Neil, you will be surprised in how deep it gets because yeah, I think even, look, the pursuit of puss could be a deeper subject than physics. And here's my argument as to why. Because... The idea of the concept of reality in your mind is... Yeah. Actually, I might need to retreat a second and just explain this as a little proviso. Yeah, so... Very for intrigued. instance, you don't know 
how the microphone is built that we're currently talking into. No, I do and not. Look, full disclosure, neither do I. Um, we don't know even how this table is built. Even though it's very simple technology, I couldn't make this shit from scratch. I wouldn't even know where to begin. So, every, in fact, virtually everything in this room, I'm guessing you have no idea how it was constructed, and that's the things you own let alone yep. all the other things in society that you have no interaction with whatsoever slash don't even know exist. Yeah. But that's all happening simultaneously at once. Sure. I mean, I could look at a very basic table and have a rough idea of how it's put together. This, this shit, the, the yeah. stuff over the top, you reckon you could... You reckon you could... I don't know if I could know build what that it. Is could, uh, no, but... <laughs> all right. But you're saying you say you could look to, at an Ikea catalogue. Yeah, is that what you say? If we go back to year nine woodwork, I think I, I can... Uh, well, <laughs> extrapolating from the basic uh, building blocks of uh, that woodwork course, I think I could have a... I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if I could build it myself, but I could have a rough uh, idea of, of, you know, how the various parts fit together. Yeah, okay. Look... I did give you way too little credit just then. You could probably figure out how to build a table. I mean, there's just a, that's pretty accusatory. A... <laughs> you are so dumb. <laughs> Sorry. Look, I'll apologize. You probably could figure out how to build a table. I'll give you that much credit. And you know, I'm I'm confident you can too. <laughs> yeah. Well, look. If it came now, down now to that it. we're thinking about it, yeah. Look, mm. if it really came to it. I'm not saying it would be a good table. I did get like a B minus in woodwork, which is probably the easiest subject there mm. is. But damn it, I could still make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly more advanced then, I guess. Just electricity circuits and all that kind of stuff. And you could find somebody that does know how to do that. And that's usually when you pay for electricians to come in and then they do all of that for you. Sure. You might be able to figure it out if you spend the time on it. But the point of the matter is that there's so much stuff in society now. Yeah. Put aside Neolithic society when there mm. was experts in things anyway back then. But yep. now society is so complicated. Mm. Very specialised. Varies and experts within experts. Yeah. As in, in the same very niche category of expertise, even when you're talking about something like English literature or something like that, you could just be like, oh, don't ask her. She doesn't know anything about Austrian, you know? Even when it comes to stuff like that, you can just keep bunkering down and getting further and further. And that, I guess, is a good thing for society in general because it just means that society is advancing. Mm. It's very messy. Mm. It's, it's very concrete, jungly, mm. um, because there is so much knowledge now, and that is one of the main pr- points that they're constantly putting in self-help, I guess. Sure, it's just and it, like, would, it would be such a, a fragile, interconnected web in which we live in this globally connected society because, like you said, we don't know the basic the basics of just almost survival if it came down to it because no. all those tasks are taken by someone who knows whatever their you know specific job is in uh, creating their little part of human society. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely, look, I would be a poodle in the real world. Mm. I would be dead oh, very I'm, quickly. I would too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I doubt that there's any... Look, I even think Bear Grylls is probably a con. I'm calling it now. He's probably got a 50-50 shot in the wilderness. You know? There's, it's a very different world. Mm. And uh, as a result of that... First of all, there's no natural inclination to figure out how to survive. But putting aside all of that, to probably properly thrive in this society that we've constructed, which obviously is great for human beings as it currently stands, there's mm-hmm. huge environmental problems coming. But as it is currently now, 
It has allowed people that should not be alive. Like, mm. if you got a cold once when you were a kid, you mm. probably should be dead now. Mm-hmm. There's very little chance. But basically, the old strategy was the same as mice. Just have 12 kids, three of them live, you, you succeed. But now it's kind of just become... Still you know, the Mormon strategy. Yeah, the Mormon strategy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one that was globally. Mm. And so now the strategy is kind of shifted towards just uh, making a few offspring, making them extremely educated and hoping that they pay the favour back and most of the time they don't, they just put you in an old folks' home. But the thing is that in this society now, mm-hmm. nobody knows how it functions anymore and there's politicians that might have a better idea than the rest of society, mm. but still the, you, the human mind cannot comprehend anywhere near as much complica- uh, as how complicated society has become. Without a doubt. So, in lieu of that, what happens is people constantly entrust... First of all, there's just mental laziness in general where mm. you just don't even think about supply chains and stuff. Like, I, I don't know how Coles gets its food there. But uh, there's this inclination to constantly entrust... The powers that be. Not exactly... Yes, but also just... The, you know, the, the general opinion of society on anything, mm. which is naturally what human beings move towards anyway. Because in ye old world, if you were isolated from the tribe, that's almost certainly a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So your natural inclination is to buy into groupthink, whatever it might be, in whatever field. And there's certain thought leaders in these fields that basically say i know more about this subject than you and they may know more about the subject than you they could also be a charlatan you just have to kind of entrust that they know more about that subject if you're interested in it all of this basically boils down to the fact that in ancient societies and neolithic societies most of what you knew was because you yourself experienced it Now, there was some transfer of knowledge from generations before you of don't eat that mushroom, that one's going to kill you, right? But mostly what you conjured in your day-to-day life would have been, okay, I figured out I probably shouldn't fuck with wombats in their cave. I should, you know, like try and lure them out by using dingoes or something. Um, That's kind of the information that you would have had to have gathered by yourself. And now, as a result of education, what has happened is that we have been able to become much, much smarter and advance much, much quicker. Mm. But it means that actually to survive in this society, you kind of have to just become specialised in one field, extremely specialised in that field, yeah. so that you're irreplaceable. Mm. Which historically would not have been a good strategy. No. Mm. A terrible strategy. Even in the 1800s, most scientists were kind of just kids of rich aristocrats that could afford to do it, but they were, they were always constantly ostracised and they were kind of just in, in rooms by themselves and didn't really have like a community to kind of test these ideas together. And sure. it's, it's very re- new development that this stuff has happened. And as a result of all of this, it means that human beings have to rely on the collective wisdom of society for virtually everything except their specialised fields. So the, the now... Yeah, and this is this is a very rough estimate, but they, the psychologist that I was reading about it was saying that what has happened is in ancient societies, seventy five percent of your knowledge would have been first hand experience. Yeah, now 
95% of your knowledge is secondhand experience. It's not actually things that you yourself have experienced. It's just mm-hmm. you've entrusted an expert to say that. As a result of that, you have all of these things in your head that you don't know for a fact are real. Mm. So in one way, this is that whole debate between knowledge and wisdom. Mm. And somebody who I guess has more first-hand experience, as you could say, as a wiser person, as opposed to somebody who's more knowledgeable. This means that first off you are much more susceptible it's much it's first of all it's very important in this society to develop critical thinking faculties yeah which most people are not taught Mm. and a classic example of this is and i think it's just because i was trained in politics so i just i constantly think that somebody must be having a different agenda to what they're saying because that's the whole game of politics in general right but if you ask doctors who are much smarter than i am Mm about basic things about if, you know, I don't know, the government of the day says that a certain policy is the way to go, their inclination is to believe that. And they will say, because the government said that that was the way to go. Sure. And so they'll just say, like, obviously they've tested everything out. But my natural inclination will be like, no, there is special interest behind mm. why they chose that policy because they're the people that put those people in that position in the first place. So they have to suck a little dick to get to keep being there, right? Yeah. And... So that's the understanding that I have from that area. But again, that's that transfer of knowledge. I don't know how to, you know, do a heart transplant, but they do. But the thing is, in their world, when they read a textbook, it is the truth. Mm. Because if you aren't going to do a heart transplant perfectly, you're probably going to kill that person. So there's no, there's no motive in medicine to lie. Mm. You want to make it as truthful as possible. And mm-hmm. a lot of subjects like this, a lot of heady subjects, there is no motivation to lie. Right. It's different when it comes to politics and business and yeah. economics. So this, that trust of authority that exists within the medical community and these other communities can be flawed when it's adapted to something like politics and economics and these other more subjective fields? Yeah, that's sure. one of the ones. The second way is that as a result of this, because I'm just constantly focusing on politics, my mind has become much more cynical than what it was when I was just constantly talking about self-help or just constantly focusing on self-help. I was a much happier person yeah. thinking about those that, that world. And so uh, now as a result of that, it actually genuinely surprises me if I've just been hunkered away in my room for the next two weeks or whatever, just studying about one policy. And then I come out and then someone's nice to me because <laughs> all I've been reading about is how evil people can be for two weeks. And yep. so when you go out and you experience somebody else who's not like that, yeah. all of a sudden you feel th- th- there's, there's kind of like this cognitive dissonance of just like, but you're supposed to be a count. Like that happens in your mind. So essentially what happens is constantly your brain yeah. is, pl- is morphing around the information that you are taking in. And sure. that's what shapes the filter of the way that you see the world. Yeah. Now, this concept, if you think about it long enough, scares the fuck out of you. Because it's that first thing that I was talking to you. I, we had Chinese, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks ago. And we were discussing... Still waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for the big reveal of how this is uh, related to getting puss. But I'm very engaged. <laughs> yeah, a bit of background information. Sure. Uh, but remember how we were just talking about it the other day? And I think we kind of freaked each other out. In, in the last mm-hmm. 10 minutes of discussing it, when we were just thinking about it for like half an hour, of the, of the real impact 
of what that actually means because of your upbringing and my upbringing and what that actually means just just from our families, from yeah. our different cultures, from where we grew up mm. and how that is permanently imprinted in our minds and shaped the way that we see the world mm-hmm. forever. And obviously you can re-morph those things, but the natural inclination, obviously, because you're a human being, you've got shit to do, you can only focus on 12 things at once max. And when we're saying 12 things at once, we're just talking about shifting from 12 different subjects anyway. But you can only focus on one subject at a time. Yeah. So there's all these things in your head that are lies. And they have just been useful enough lies for you to survive to this point. Yeah. But it's nowhere close to the truth. Sure. Now, obviously, okay, when he's going to apply that. Yeah, sorry. All right. When you say lies, um, can you expand a little bit on that? Well... Lies, okay, maybe not necessarily lies as in the people that have been saying them to you have actively known that they're not the truth. Yeah. But a lot of what I knew as a kid and how I grew up, now just because I've been hyper-focused on one subject, and this is just one subject, and all I can talk about is my experience, but all my experience is basically just reading books about politics, right? But as a kid, like a perfect example of that, as a kid you grow up because of the soft power of television that most of that... Uh, media that's coming into you is American. And why is that? It's because the US purposefully hammered out trade deals with the rest of the Western world to make sure that their media is dominant. And the way, the reason they wanted their media to be dominant is so that it had this essentially brainwashing impact on you to just be constantly thinking like, oh, America's cool because Nelly lives there. You know, that's okay. your... That, that's Well, that's part of it, as yeah. well as the fact that they want their news and their narratives exported to the rest of the english-speaking world so it wasn't a product of american media just being better well no because yes they have more money but on top of that it's the same thing with american comedians look if we could just bring it back to that it it doesn't not but the thing is i don't think that in general most american median comedians are better than australian comedians or british comedians there's ones that are stand out that are really good your bill burrs and your dave chappelle's but the yeah. vast majority of the shit on netflix is fucking atrocious sure. and the average sure. british comedian is a lot savvier and wittier sure than the average american comedian and it's the same with japan and stuff and yes there's that constant thing of just you know like the, i don't know competing ideas and the best idea wins that's true to a certain extent Another truth of it is, is that in when they are hammering out these free trade deals, they put in things like 50% of your content has to be American, otherwise you don't get this trade deal. Yeah. And so they sign off on that, and then their television programs have to allow 50% of television programming to be American. So the British really hated this, for instance. Sure. They absolutely despised it because it was that point where the transition of power was moving away from Britain to America. Uh-huh. And so... There was a huge rebellion in British film in the 40s and 50s. What was the advantage to the smaller countries to signing a deal like that? To Australia, for instance? Yeah. Well, it's not for the media. It's certainly not for the media industry, the advantage. Sure. And in general, actually, a lot of these advantages are just one way and they basically go to America. But you could argue that certain agricultural advantages, because it's a free trade deal. Yeah, right, right. But so when you're talking about a free trade deal, it's never a free trade deal. So it doesn't just encompass... This isn't just a... We're not just talking about media. We're talking about the American media being exported to Australia, and, and yeah, and as a result, whatever we export back to America is the trade-off. Yes, but sure. 
a lot of those things in general, it, it, they're always to benefit the Americans, again, because it is the dominant power of the current global sphere, as in, like, they're just militarily so much more advanced than everybody else. They've spent so much more money on it. Um, they have more money than everybody else. Right. So they kind of set the rules of trade, which, again, is another thing that you don't learn. But the thing is that when you grow up, I had this idea in my mind, and I'm sure you did as well, and I'm sure everybody does, that the Americans uh, are this global cop that goes around the world yeah. trying to break up fights, yeah. trying to keep some kind of peace and stability together, and then you read a few examples about what they did in Latin America or what they did in Europe and um, uh, what they even did in Australia when they just didn't like Gough Whitlam, and then they just... M- organized a cia coup to replace him and then you realize they are not a global cop they are just the roman empire they are like every other empire that has ever existed they work purely in self-interest and so that shift completely changes the way that you see everything after that yeah um so okay so because of the free trade deals and the american media that we've been exposed to we have an inherent bias towards america and the culture of america and as a result we're more, more likely to see the, to paint them in a good light. That's yes, what it comes or to naturally to. believe because I've done this before. I've had long debates with people about people that come up to me afterwards, and they'll say, you know, anything that you say is just like, you know, America's not that great. They're just like you're pro China or like, you know, um, I don't know, just just America did this, and they'll just and and they'll just be like they protected us in World War Two. There's all these points that have just been constantly seeded into your mind from a young age to believe that the US is there working in your interest, where the facts show that it's anything but that. You can look at trade deals, you can look at what happens when there's an Australian government that actually stands up and says, we want to determine how much our minerals are worth, for instance, or Uh like we don't want American companies mining our resources, we want to mine them ourselves. And they're just like, okay, coup staged, Whitlam sacking, Bring in Fraser. That's that's the historical fact of what happened. And you're not even taught that in your school books. And so at the very least, what you can say is that the reality of the situation is much more complicated than what you are taught. Sure. And the thing is, so and I don't think that our teachers, for instance, lied to us about the Whitlam dismissal. I think that they were taught that this is what the Whitlam dismissal is and what it meant. Yeah. And then they just taught us that. Okay. And so it's not necessarily that they're lying to you. It's that they're just putting lies in your head. Uh-huh. And so your whole life is just filtered through all of these filters. So that's one of those good examples of that. It's just one that I've been thinking about a lot recently, and it scares me the ramifications of it, of the fact that the US, um, it's kind of that same thing of just like, and it goes back to the other idea of just mainstream media, essentially what its, pro, uh, its uh, intent is. Its, its intent is not to make money. I mean, there's so many things that make a lot of money in the world. Drugs, selling arms, telecommunications, all of these things make heaps of money. Yeah. Media is not one of those things. Media is very finicky. A lot of it doesn't make money. Rupert Murdoch runs papers at a loss. The reason yeah. that he keeps them going is because of power. What is the power of running newspapers? It's mind control. It's that you're able to put out your narrative into society. And because you have the most papers out there, your narrative wins. And so it's the same yeah, thing. Okay. With, oh, sorry, sorry. That's no, okay. Um, so, so, so wait, all media... Surely there are sectors of the media that are profitable and consistently profitable. Yes. 
but they are becoming fewer and fewer the more that media is democratised. And that's why you've seen that massive shift in the US. First of all, there's the massive shift in the US because they've had to make their their, their films more China-friendly, mm. which means that they have to ease back on the pro-America stuff, which is actually something you can look at as well. This is the other thing. When you're learning in film study and then you're just like, what are the themes in Batman? What they're talking about normally with the themes in Batman is like revenge, lust, Christianity, all that kind of stuff. But they never talk mm-hmm. about the imperialist ideas that are in these films that they have to propagate to get them funded, which again is part of the soft power model. And this is just documented. The CIA infiltrated Hollywood in the 40s mm-hmm. and basically said, we're running shit from now on. And they've this, there's, there's books on this. One of them is Killing Hope. It's got whole chapters just about how the CIA basically directed how Hollywood b- would be making films and what kind of films they'd be making. Okay. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Because yeah. everyone is watching this shit. So if yeah, it comes to like something like superhero movies, yeah. obviously, if there's like you know a billion people watching it, they're going to want to want their messages imprinted into it. Sure. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so the thing is, yes, superhero movies, still pr- extremely profitable. But yeah. have you noticed how hollowed out movies have become recently in the last 10 years. It's basically just pretty much just like the Hulk yeah, versus yeah. fucking Iron Man. A like lot it's, of superhero movies, of course, yeah. A lot of that shit. Yeah. There's very little else. There's, you know, a few romantic comedies released every year, maybe mm. one Oscar bait shit. Mm. It's always about someone in the South getting persecuted. Like it's the very few themes that are now explored in Hollywood and they're becoming narrower and narrower. And one of the motivations for that is profitability. The other one, again, is because they want certain themes propagated constantly. And yes, what are the, there what is... are the themes? Okay, so you can say that uh, what are the themes in superhero movies that link to the imperialist mindset? The, the very first one that comes to mind is Captain America. <laughs> I mean, it's okay, just yeah, so self-explanatory. Yeah. But it's the same thing with Superman. It's the same thing with Wonder Woman. You can look at who they're fighting constantly. Who is it? Always. It's always like if, if, they're, if they're fighting a, a threat, the threat is always terrorists or it's Nazis. It's always, or like sometimes it'll be so, or like, you know, the Soviet Union. You can go back into the 80s. The, the mm. threat was always the Soviet Union. Mm. Now and then, when you go into the two thousands, it was okay. terrorists. So, and, but then, what came first? Was it the uh, the powers that be that control Hollywood, telling Hollywood, okay, uh, create art that is uh, putting people, you know, uh, driving people to think poorly of a certain enemy, if you will, the Nazis, the communists, etc., whatever it was, or was it just a byproduct of the fact that America was at war with the, these cultures or nations? And as a result, the profit motive would be in creating films that cater to that mindset. Yes, it is profitable to cater to the mindset and not challenge the general narrative. As soon as you go against the narrative, you're mm. completely outcasted, yeah. and not just monetarily, but on top of the fact that politically you're just blacklisted, gone. Yeah. Um, a good example of the answer to that, though, is... Have you ever heard of McCarthyism? I've heard of it. Which yeah. is that he's a... I can't even remember when it was now. I think it was the 60s because it was around I Love Lucy time. So it was probably 50s or 60s. Joseph McCarthy was this US Republican senator and he was known as basically, he created what is essentially the modern day Salem witch trials, which is that he just went through Hollywood 
and found anybody that was pro-union or anybody that like wasn't down the line with America's narrative at the time um, and and just instantly accused them of being a communist, sure. ran this huge yeah. trial, that's arrested right. all of them. Yeah. That's that's essentially what happens is that there's two things there's five filters of propaganda that happen. One of the first ones is uh, that you learn about is access, right? Uh-huh. Which is that if you don't follow the narrative, you don't get to play. Yeah, I know that firsthand in Australia. As in, if I don't follow, and that's what happened is just you know like your pedestrians, your right, junkies, right. your ABCs and stuff like that. As soon as I didn't follow the narrative, gone. And that narrative is controlled by the elite. You're saying always, yeah. always, because this is something that's very interesting about media. It started out in China. Newspapers started out in China, and it started because the Han Dynasty's empire in China became too big for them to word of mouth dictate to the provinces what they wanted. So they came up with newspapers, mm-hmm. which were then ran into town centres, and then they just read them out. The very inception of media. It's very early birth stages. It was a way of the elites putting their message to the rest of society. That's, that is its original design. Okay. So it hasn't changed since. And it gets more complicated the more they actually started putting psychological research into this. And mm-hmm. it's the same strategies. You, you can learn about it. If you've done a degree in marketing, you'll see the exact same strategies being used in mainstream media that are actually used in advertising products. Yeah. But... It's all part of that idea, and I, I'm making a whole stand-up show about that, so I should probably shut up about this point, but right. it all goes into the idea that the concept of reality is not because you yourself have experienced it or because you yourself know what you know. Uh-huh. It's because things have just been placed into your head. Yeah. And the more you think about that, the scarier that concept becomes because then you just realise that you, basically your brain is being completely brainwashed and sometimes it's by nefarious actors and sometimes it's just by people by accident. But the thing is that everybody is walking through life with that idea. And then we're coming up to the idea that if you're talking about self-help, hmm. it's, it's your point where you were saying that Affirma- that is why affirmations work. That if you sit there and say, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, over and over again for years, yeah, your brain gets tricked into thinking you're a millionaire and so you start behaving like a millionaire sure. and thus you become a millionaire. But most people don't because they see the surroundings that they are in, they see the surroundings of their family and then they yeah. just think, okay, well, I'm worth X amount of money and this is where I'm going to be in life. Okay. And the thing is that, yeah, essentially what I'm saying is you can brainwash yourself and that's the main point of it and that works in pussy as well. <laughs> which, okay. which is that with that filter... A lot of people just go through life thinking, you know, like those guys at high school were good at getting chicks and I'm not good at getting chicks. So that's the end of my life. That's <laughs> okay. That's incels mindset sure, in a sure, nutshell, sure. constantly looking for reasons for yeah. why they suck as opposed to just being like, okay, I suck now, but I can get better, <laughs> which you can yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And But do you think there's an objective reality uh, in, spite of the, in spite of what you've been influence absolutely there is there is absolutely an objective reality so the things incels say for example to bring it back to that uh, (laughs) (laughs) what do they always make a point about the jawline for example i mean it is just an objective 
statistical reality that women would prefer a man with a strong jawline. True. But you know what else is an objective reality? Hmm. I have friends who are very fat and ugly that slay. Of course, of course. But that doesn't deny the fact that the objective reality of the jawline still exists. The objective of the reality of the jawline exists. But the but objective reality the, is... Yes, yeah, the objective sure. reality of puss is the chicks dig confidence, man. Yeah. That's what they... They like that more than having just a, a, a piece of bone that yeah. fits the idea of what's hot currently. Sure. Because it wasn't always like this. Yeah. In the Middle Ages, fat dudes were the shit. And chicks. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because it just meant that you were rich. Yeah. I mean, True, yeah. In India up until, you know, my grandmother still says uh, fatness is a sign of prosperity. See, well, I always thought the, the the ideal masculine figure has been pretty consistent throughout history because even in ancient Greek times, all the the statues were just jacked dudes, whereas the women were a lot more heavy set and fatter. <laughs> well, that's all. That's what's changed. Now they're the not. Yeah. Now they've just got a really thick toned ass. And ten There's years no ago, chubbies. it was all about, oh, does my ass look big in these jeans? Yeah, skinny. And now it's, does my ass look small in these jeans? Just so in the space of a decade. And the thing is, it's the same thing when it comes to ancient societies. It's just that we're used to just looking at snapshots because there's just not as much information sure. available. So you don't get to see, you know, oh, what it was like in 110 AD as opposed to 120 AD. Yeah. But there would have been differences. The huge difference being that both in Greek, Roman and Egyptian societies, you can look at the periods where they were flourishing and the empire was expanding Every man looked like Hercules, just tank as shit. Yeah. And then it got to the point where it started to decline and peter out, and every man started looking all noodly and feminine, Yeah. like what's happening now, and it's the mm. same thing that happened with Universe 25, and the, the sexes sort of became more... Uh, le- less, less... Less separate. Uh, yeah, less of a radical difference so men didn't look extremely muscly and women looked extremely dainty both of them just kind of looked a lot like oh noodly it's mm. the best way to describe everyone it everyone was noodly. gender fluid everyone was gender fluid and that's the natural cycle of like whether it goes in and out but the, the, again the the main point about that when it comes to the art uh-huh. is that the concept of beauty constantly changes and if you don't fit that concept then people like your incels start going, it's because of my jaw. Yeah. Maybe it's because you have no social skills. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about it? If you're sitting in a forum chat room with a bunch of other dudes that are constantly talking about how they find it impossible to pick up puss and how much of a victim they are as a result, if, if that is your reality, again, that goes back to that concept of reality. Your yeah, reality yeah. is that you suck and all of your friends are people that suck. Mm. That's a powerful thing to be walking around with. And, sure, sure, sure. And you've noticed it, right? Because you started reading self-help about two years ago, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Your mindset has changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's an objective reality, but then you can manipulate the sort of what you could call the subconscious reality that exists um, within you personally. Yeah. That can then feed into the outward reality of you as a person and yeah. then influence the objective reality in your life. Yes, and that comes down to, yeah, the affirmations and things like that. But can we just go back a bit? Because what you said before about the media and the free trade and all that, I'm still, uh, that, was, that was a lot. And it was a lot to take yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I suppose my first question with all of that is, if we're influ- if we're so influenced by external factors and we're not determining our own objective reality based on personal experiences, first of all, then you so you've read these books. How do you? How can you discern that that is reality versus what someone else has read in an alternate book that might have a conflicting ideology, for example? The main way that I would say, uh, basically what you're talking about is just like comparing sources and which one's more realistic. It's very obvious when you're looking at academic texts because if somebody is just repeating the narrative of society, it's over and over, very obvious. They will just be repeating jingoism. They will be repeating talking points there won't be any facts or examples to back up what they're saying sure so a really good example of this is because i'm just in this perpetual argument with people that are pro-nuclear but like they always bring up the point of just being like nuclear energy is carbon free and then you say no it's not because you know you have to mine it out of the ground that takes huge amounts of carbon emissions in terms of digging materials to get it out then you have to process it that's very carbon intensive and then when it's actually emitting uh, vapor into the air because that's all it's doing is just you're making something really hot and then it's just making heaps of steam and that's how you're powering the okay. generator right yeah. all of that water so they will always it's, it, and, and then the other thing that happens is sources start contradicting themselves so they will be using that example of the fact that nuclear energy is carbon free because it's not coal so therefore it's carbon free no, sorry, coal is just way more carbon intensive. That's the only difference. But virtually every source of power emits some level of carbon dioxide. They're always just saying that, you know, actually people always just say that, you know, hydrogen is so eco-friendly, that emits carbon dioxide too. Yeah, why? Because it's displacing water. And as a result of that, carbon emissions are being released into the atmosphere. It's the same thing with nuclear energy, right? So... Which one sounds more plausible to you? The idea that there's like a Stanford professor sitting there explaining the fuel cycle to you of how it's mined. Yeah. And and obviously, if there's digging materials involved with that and huge mat trucks that are powered by diesel moving this to a ship and then the ship goes halfway across the planet, there's going to be some carbon emissions in that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. so much it, that is a lot more complicated an answer than just saying it's carbon free. That's the difference, right? It's just when you hear a narrative, all they have is just this one selected cherry-picked fact. Mm -hmm. And then when you say, what about this, 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 and this? There's no answer. That's the way that you determine which source is better than than the other one. And so when it comes to media, for instance... Scrutiny, basically. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So there's definitely... When it comes to virtually anything that I'm constantly reading, I I see it over and over again. I look at both sides of the argument, and one side of the argument will be a lot more simplistic than the other side of the argument, in that it'll just have essentially talking points. And then the other side of the argument will sit there, and it'll dissect each of those talking points and why it's out of shit. The other thing that you normally see in these like political arguments mm-hmm. is that one side, when it comes to nuclear ex- uh, energy proponents, for example, they're always going like, just look at Michael Schellenberger. Michael Schellenberger is paid by 30 billionaires that have this collective trust fund because they all invest in nuclear energy because nuclear energy is an incredible investment because governments will never let nuclear energy die. For instance, in Alabama, there was this nuclear power station that's getting built currently. It's taken... I don't know, double the amount of time that they predicted. It's cost 
the, the original estimates, I think, were $9 billion for two. It's now $25 billion. It's not even built yet. And then they're saying we're running out of money, the power company that said that. Uh -huh. So the legislature came in and said, okay, what we're going to do is put a levy on everyone in Alabama's power bill. So they have to pay for the building of this power plant, the, the people themselves. Yeah. So they will go to huge measures to bail them out. And it's because it acts as a supply chain for weapons. Because if you have a bunch of nuclear power plants, then you have uranium moving into the country. Yeah. And as a result of that uranium moving into those countries, you can then harvest the waste and use that as weaponry. Sure. And they even talk about this. This is the other thing as well. Okay. They start contradicting themselves. They will say stuff like, you know, nuclear power is separate to the arms industry. But then you read their documents where they're... Uh, lobbying governments and stuff, and they're like, well, what are you going to do if we don't have nuclear power? How are you going to harvest plutonium and stuff? So they, they start contradicting their own argument, right? All of those points start making you realise that, you know, that, that one side is more correct than the other. And it's not that one side is 100% correct, ever. And, in fact, this is just a main point in philosophy, which is always just that, like, nothing ever that yeah. anyone has ever thought is right sure it's just less wrong than the previous thought uh-huh okay so that's the way that i kind of look at life now is just that this side of the argument is less incorrect than this side and and it, you still and you don't think you're influenced by your own biases absolutely then? i am oh. that's what i'm aware of right okay. but what is very scary to me is when you're debating someone and they're not even aware of that point. I mean, there's very little that I can do to ever stop those sure. biases. Sure. But the very fact that I'm aware of that kind of removes me a little bit away from that. But then yeah, you see yeah. a lot of people that you speak to, right? And so, I don't know, for instance, when it comes to voting, if you talk to somebody from the Shire, their response will always just be like, yeah, Scott Morrison's a mad dog. And if you talk to someone from Newtown, they're just going to be like, Labour and the Liberals are fucked and the Greens are the only good ones, you know? And then you yeah. talk to someone from the Western suburbs and they'll just be like, Shorten's looking out for me. You know, sure, sure, they've sure, sure, never sure. actually looked into it. They've, they're just a product of their environment. Yeah, they have the beliefs of those people that they're surrounded in. Sure, we're so far removed from the actual real reality that's going on within the political system that we're just spouting some level of talking points that we've heard. Yes. Okay. That have been reinforced predominantly by the culture that you grew up in. Yeah. And so all of these things I'm at least aware of when I'm arguing with someone. And the thing is that sometimes I'm very surprised when I'm talking to someone and that's usually somebody who's good at arguing. Yeah. They will be aware of the fact that a lot of the things that they're saying are going to be somewhat incorrect. Whereas somebody who is bad at arguing, you look at them... They've got, you know, like a Southern Cross tat on with a fucking blue singlet on. And you're just like, oh, three guesses who you vote for. Nationals, you know. And they they just repeat every trope that you can imagine. And that's somebody who is not aware of how little they know in life. It goes back to that philosophical point of just like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know much. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, th this whole thing is there's an uplifting message to it and we kind of just touched on it before. Uh -huh. And it, look, the thing is when it comes to mainstream media, that's a very, very scary concept that we could delve into. Mm. And I'd be very happy to, I could do many a pod with you about that because it, honestly, I've, I've been studying that subject for 10 years now and I learn things that horrify me okay. all the time about it. 
But to what degree is the American media and mainstream media in Hollywood influenced by what is it? The CIA, the American government? No, the, powers the, main, the elite. Well, this yes, it's the elite, but essentially, it's just the elite differs in every society. You know what? Actually, you know what was very perceptive about your comedy that I just like quietly nodded to once when it was a few stand-up shows before. I was like, yeah, he gets it. And you were just talking about the fact that like every system of government kind of just has. It, it was it was it was a joke about tennis. I can't exactly remember the. Oh point. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. That point. Yeah. The point is yeah. that like. You know, American society, and it's purely because they're the dominant culture of today. Sure. Right? So it's just different in every different society. But the, the, the main power of the U.S. is extremely powerful multinational corporations. And it's the first time in human history that that has happened, that corporations have superseded the nation state. Mm. It's like what we were talking about before, how originally after, you know, the Dark Ages, religion was the dominant force in the world. Yeah. And then nation yeah. states started to supersede okay. that. And then after that, and I think that, look, nation states have their problems, but they are a much better source to be having as your uh, decision makers than fucking McDonald's and BP. Because they have no... Uh, they have, they have no loyalty to a society okay. at all. All they want to be focusing on is maximizing profit as, as much as they possibly can. And, and they think about it in very short terms. And if your product is sure. dangerous, like fossil fuels, they don't give a shit. They just care about keeping their shareholders happy. And if that is the thing that is driving your society... That's what's going to be the messages. And you can look at it because if you go to, say, North Korea or I've been to... Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Well, wouldn't a, sort of a capitalist or something say that McDonald's is completely prone to competition by other sources versus just an overriding nation state that doesn't really have that level of competition? But is So it? another corporation could come in and just expose the truth behind McDonald's and say, you know, look what they're doing. Come buy our burgers. But is it... <laughs> I mean, yes, but is it that? Is it that? Is is it actually that? That's what happens because at a certain point you get so much money that you start having lobbyists, and what do the lobbyists do? They start protecting your industry. And with McDonald's, for instance, they have an army of lawyers, and their uh-huh. job essentially is to just fuck with their competition, and their competition is smaller. So it's not this idea of like you know the best idea wins. It's essentially he who has the most money wins. It's not like McDonald's makes the best food in the world. No, of course. Not. Not. They don't, they, they're not even that. good value no anymore. It's like that, no. Yeah. Yeah. I much prefer fucking Hungry Jacks. But sure. is there more Hungry Jacks? <laughs> it's just, dude, the burgers are better at Hungry Jacks. And even if you just got to go through those versions of just McDonald's versus Hungry Jacks, the reason that McDonald's is more dominant, again, is because they figured out the business strategy of just, it's got nothing to do with food. It's yeah. about uh, real just estate. They just have heaps marketing. of real estate. And so, and heaps of marketing they just uh-huh. overload the space with marketing it's the same reason with coke even though it's the most dominant soft drink on earth it spins the most constantly to keep its competitors at bay okay. and so it's got nothing a classic example of like the free market not working is advertising because advertising's whole aim is to convince you that a product is better than it is essentially it's to lie about a product and the whole point of the free yeah. market is that, you know, if you build a better mousetrap, the whole world will build by your mousetrap. But does that actually happen? McDonald's is a prime example. It's some of the shittest burgers I've ever had in my life. 
And I still go oh, back. Of course. It's, yeah. No, no one's, <laughs> I don't think anyone's suggesting that it's a perfect system, for example, but how would the, so you're saying the nation state controlling that power would be a better way of well, this is governing very, people? This is a very controversial point. And everybody, like, this goes, and look, I can see the comments right now, but what I'm saying is that in the U.S., when they first emerged after World War II, they had 50% of the world's GDP. It's gone down to 25%. Half of that money is in the Cayman Islands now and other tax havens doing absolutely nothing to help the U.S., even in terms of making the U.S. stronger, let alone the people of the U.S., and I can't remember the statistics, but it's jamming. I'm going to have to relook at that. But like a huge section of their uh, population has moved into the poverty line. What okay? What money are we talking about? Hmm? This this wealth that's in the Cayman Islands is it is it owned by the U.S. government or is no. it owned by just the rich corporations? Individu- corporations corporations okay. and rich individuals sure. collectively have sucked out half of America's wealth. And we're talking, you know, from mining, from labour costs, from agriculture. This is sure, sure, the sure. nation's wealth, essentially, that they're just leeching out of the country and keeping in bank accounts to do nothing to reinvest it back into society, just essentially letting it rot and accumulate in index funds. Um, this that's rich individuals, is it? Or the corporations? Richer individuals and corporates and, and huge corporations. Your banks, your JP Morgans of the world, all of these yeah. massive industries in pharmacy, in uh, in in... Uh, God, I've gone blank of what it is. The, the weapons defense industry. All of these industries are sure. extremely profitable. Agriculture. Okay, but the rich corporations have the uh, high net worth people at the you know at the high end of the corporate ladder. But then, isn't the corporation itself owned by millions of shareholders? No. It's first of all, it's an illusion because second, they're not actually making the day to day decisions, and second off, the interest of those shareholders is always going to be to increase profit margins it's not going to be reinvest that back into society because that is not good for your personal share count a good example of that is just with the current election and how franking credits became like a big thing but sorry but aren't these shareholders just members of the society but do they actually give a shit about society that's the difference at the end of the day human beings are an extremely selfish creature and so they'll sure usually there's examples of it like you know like you'll give a kidney transplant to someone you know and love but it's very easy to just like hear that you know um oh yeah so anyway yeah there's a bunch of homeless people now because of the housing crisis yeah where are your shares again jp morgan like those things are so distant it's the same thing as like it's it's much harder a, a massive reason why warfare became more distant in terms of guns so you went from you know club Yep. to spear, yep. to bow and arrow, to yep. gun, to bomb. Yeah. And the reason for that is because the pers- you can ask people who drop bombs on cities, do you feel bad about the women, children and men that you maimed? And they'll just be like, not really. Whereas yeah. in warfare, where you're like this close to someone and you can see someone begging for their life, it's really hard to pull that trigger for most people. Of course, yeah. Because yeah. it's the closeness of it. But when you're talking about a nation that is 300 million people, you kind of need some entity thinking long-term about the welfare of those 300 million people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. So the example that I always give is, look, I'm not defending China. I'm saying that it is a better system 
than the US's system. It is filled with its falls. No government is anywhere near perfect. Yes, it has huge human rights violations, but, I mean, look at what the US empire has done across the globe. It has killed far more people than the Chinese have. We're talking about 70 invasions since World War II. This is basically to keep... to. And what are these invasions? To force corporations into countries that don't want them so they can extract their resources. That's basically what the Iraq war was about, right? It wasn't really about weapons of mass destruction, which again is just you know part of that reality lie bubble. Mm-hmm. It was basically so that they could get access to, America, uh, to Iraq's oil and leach it out of the country because Saddam Hussein wasn't playing ball anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what most of those are about. That's what a huge amount of human suffering is about. It's just about empire expansion. Conversely, China, huge human rights violations in its own country. But what it has achieved for its people is it has moved 400 million people out of abject poverty since the government's inception. Now, to say that, you know, it's just being like, it's a communist government or whatever, that's part of that propaganda model of just being like, America's capitalist and China's communist. There's nothing remotely communist or capitalist about these countries. Like, if you read economic texts, the reality of these countries is nowhere close to what it is. But essentially what has happened in China is there is this very strong government there that is basically saying, you build phones, will... Like, they're, they're thinking far off in the future they're saying you build phones and they say you know i don't know for instance just an example of like but we want to get into home loans and stuff like that and they say no (laughs) and they stop that whereas in america what happens is the, the global financial crisis for instance it was basically bankers telling the government how they wanted the banking system to be run and okay. obviously what banks are going to do is say, we want to be able to cannibalise our industry, to just buy up all the small banks so we become bigger. And essentially what happens is it becomes a house of cards and implodes. That's how the global financial crisis happened. China, the reason that it was able to bail out the US is because their banks were not allowed to do that shit. They've got a very successful government in the sense that sure. it just says that it, it, there's at least a direction of the nation there as opposed to just the direction of the nation being how are we going to increase J.P. Morgan's profit margin over the next three months. The direction yeah. of China's nation is like, we want to make China a world superpower in the next 50 years. How do we do it? Okay. They're different questions. And the thing is, you can say, you know, all these human rights violations, there's a lot of poor people in China, but they started off really poor. Hmm. The Americans did not. The Americans started off extremely wealthy and their society is in decline. So sure. I'm not saying that China is like a, a perfect society, but you ask most global leaders about what the Chinese government has accomplished and if they are an honest, genuine person that is looking at the facts, they're going to come to this conclusion of like, okay, dude, they've got shit done. Yeah. Like, China started off basically peasant farmers in the 50s. And now look at them. Shanghai is like walking into the year 2040. Yeah. Huge progress. So, again... Uh, Haven't a lot of countries done that? Made massive economic gains. Exactly. Over the 20th century. And which countries are these? These are your South Koreas. These are your Japans. These are your Chinas. These are your Singapores. Mm. A lot of the other countries have floundered. Now, why did China... South Korea, uh, Japan, and Singapore, and also Vietnam, but they had to deal with the Vietnam War, so they've been, you know, because after that, the entire country was just devastated. It was 30 years of total war, and now they're just getting back into the swing of it, and everybody says the same thing, that when you go to Vietnam, it's unrecognisable from 10 years ago. Why have these third world countries, because Korea was poorer than uh, Ethiopia, 
after the Korean War. Now, people always just go, yeah, that's because the Americans helped them out. No, they did not. The Americans wanted to try and instill the same economic system that they've put on all the other third world countries, which is the IMF system, which is basically that, you know, like you specialize in one field what you're good at. So say that you're good at growing cotton, you just grow cotton and you sell that. Korea said, fuck that. We want to build our own TVs and radio stations and cars because that's where all the money is. And then everyone was just being like, no, don't do that. And because they had a strong enough dictator there just saying like, fuck you, we're just going to put money into this. We're shit at it now. But in 20 years, we're not going to be that shit at it. And now they're not that shit at it. Now Samsung is competing with Apple. They're pretty much just as good. And that is because of that original investment of like basically a country just saying, you are not going to instill your economic imperialism onto us. We're going to make, essentially, we're going to be the captain of our own ship. The countries that were the captain of their own ship, and a lot of them had to fight independence wars like Vietnam and China, they're the ones that are successful now. The ones that just kind of like towed into line with America, obviously, uh-huh. because it's they're not working in their country's interest. They're working in the US's interest. So the Korean companies, they don't have the same profit motive that a McDonald's or Coca-Cola has? They absolutely do. And that's the other problem now, is that now those companies have become so powerful that they are kind of calling the shots in these countries. Okay. Um, but previously, and this is my whole thing. Dude, you know what you realize after a while? The philosophers of ancient Greece were pretty fucking on point. Like, yeah, dude, right. democracy is too fucking messy to work and it doesn't work. And it essentially is just a, a... Democracy is just a word for a hidden oligarchy. There's just a bunch of elites controlling the democracy. But essentially the countries that get a lot done, dictators... <laughs> they do sure. they just get no, shit done man yeah. <laughs> okay okay one last question i want to bring because i feel like i can ask questions about this for a very long time and you'd have very good answers <laughs> um because you mentioned that uh the, sort of your standard of measurement was that china brought millions and millions of people out of abject poverty and america didn't but d- well Take 19th or 18th century America, for example. Sure, maybe a lot of those settlers weren't, didn't have the same level of poverty that uh, the Chinese farmers of the 1940s and 50s did, but was there not a huge gain in uh, the from the lower to the middle class in America in that period of time? Yes. And why was that? Are you talking about the 50s in the US or are you talking about the 1800s? 1800s. Well, the 1800s was just because they had an entire continent that they were colonizing and they all had access to huge amounts of... I mean, look, it would be an abject governmental failure. The, the, the likes of the world yes. has never seen if the US wasn't the current dominant nation on Earth. It is the size of Australia, mm. but it is bountiful resources. from sea to shining sea. Huh? Okay, yes. Just filled with natural resources. Yeah. So obviously they're going to be wealthy because it's just impossible for you not to be in that society. China does not have the same geography as the US. But on top of that, China faced imperial colonization by Japan and before that essentially the British had quasi-colonized it and then the US were trying to colonize it in the way that they colonize countries now, which is that behind-the-seas colonization. Yeah. And so they were facing, again, kind of the same thing as Vietnam, just constant wars and invasions of people leeching the wealth that they had. Mm-hmm. It was different. It was a very different setup to what the US had, where they were basically, they, they were colonizing the Indians at that point, but they were the dominant force there. And so they were the captains of their own destiny. Okay. It really comes down to that. A lot of what you see around the world, and if a country is moving out of poverty or not, yeah. uh, most of the time it's because the government is being controlled by a foreign power, okay. that they continue to be poor. Okay. 
And <laughs> finally, because one thing I just want to add to that as well, I think you made the point earlier that you said humans are an inherently selfish animal, right? You yeah. Said, yeah. So power is corrupting then, is yeah. it not? Yeah. So why would... Uh, so what is the difference between sort of state power versus corporate power of a few large, very large corporations? It's the way in which they wield power and why and what their power depends on. That's the best way that I can put it. In that, Would it not be that if you had moral, morally righteous individuals, whether they're at the helm of a state power or a corporate power, the result would be the same? No, because the, the very machine of government is a very different beast to a business. And you can see this. There's actually a really good documentary about this called uh, The Corporation, and there will be CEO after CEO coming on. Nicest people you've ever seen in your life. Mm. Care about the environment. They work for BP. Mm. What are you going to do? At the end of the day, your job relies on you uh, maximising profit. And if you don't maximise profit, then the shareholders will vote you out and they'll put in a CEO who will maximise profit. The very nature of the machine of a corporation demands the profits be made mm -hmm. whereas governments the nature of that beast and obviously people are going to argue this point so the cows come home but there is at least some oversight there about trying essentially your company is not necessarily trying to generate a profit doesn't need to generate a profit because it's just getting in taxes all the time essentially what it's trying to do is make the country strong economically societally environmentally mm -hmm. all of these things that, that that is a successful government does those things whereas a successful company just makes as much money as it possibly can two completely different outcomes and the thing is when it comes to china obviously rife with corruption it's a third world country still it's going to be extremely corrupt yeah but america's not australia's not that might be less corrupt than these countries, and the and the kinds of corruption that we understand are just, you know, just they're going to be called like you know the law. But essentially, what is lobbying? It's legalized corruption. If you're just like saying, you know, the Keystone Pipeline will essentially tip the planet over the carbon budget that we have and will doom the planet, and then they just sign off on it anyway. <laughs> You're not making that decision because of, you know, wise governmental policy. You're making that decision because there's huge business billionaires saying do it. So that's, I would argue, corruption. Yeah. So it gets more complicated than this. And there's like kind of a inbreeding in every society of corporations and governments kind of just melding into one thing. But at the end of the day, it's just which of these powers is more dominant. And you will see it over and over again in countries where the government is most dominant and they're not being influenced by an outside government, they will do better than a country that is influenced mostly by corporations or an outside power. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That was great. That was, uh, that was a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah. Riveting. Wasn't a lot on puss there in the end. <laughs> yeah, no, Oh, two you disappointed sentences. me there. <laughs> Sorry, man. Dude, I don't know. Oh, fuck. I'm not looking forward to this podcast coming out. I know there's going to be so much backlash to it. But anyway, look. The, you can put it on your those channel. Those are my opinions. It's just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm a comedian. 
<laughs> All right. Yeah, well, well. It's titled the Neil and Jordan podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and I'm taking you down <laughs> with me, man. Okay. <sighs> yeah, groove on that. Yeah. Well, we'll see you next time. See you next week, guys. <laughs>